Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here today with your host, Auntie Vice, and I'm very excited to be back for our new season. It is early, early January 2023, and I am here with Princessa Natasha Strange. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. I've been a follower of yours for a long time. You do some really interesting work. For our listeners who may not be as familiar with you, um, because we do have quite a few kinksters who listen to this, mm-hmm. Natasha runs Sub Rosa in Portland, which mm-hmm. is the only female-owned um, dungeon in the area. She's been doing this work for almost 30 years now. Uh, she's written one book. She has another one coming out on kink, uh, Kinky for the Curious Girls. She teaches, she coaches, she does all <laughs> sorts of things. So let's start. 30 years. This makes you a, a long-term pro. <laughs> long, long-term pro. <laughs> Yeah, um, I do a lot of uh, mentoring of up-and-coming sex workers, and uh, most of them were born after I started, which is always sort of weird. <laughs> Just like my sister now has a rule; she can't hire anybody who's younger than her oldest tattoo. Yeah, it's something something like that. I do a lot of like diaper play, and it's. To mm-hmm. the point where now I am, I am actually putting people and humiliating them about being in diapers because uh, that's my niche. Who were like in diapers when I, you know, first started putting people in yeah. diapers. <laughs> so things have changed dramatically. For anybody who's gotten into the kink scene in the last ten years, it looks nothing like it did thirty years ago. Oh my god. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. I mean, I was just finding out about it 30 years ago when I was a teen and holy smoke, things have changed. So how did you come into this world? Because it's so different than people do now. So I was living in San Francisco and uh, personally, I came into the kink world uh, like you do, uh, you know, in the mid nineties, which is um, through your local goth club. Um, <laughs> so I just, I was always like, if you go back and read any of my interviews, I, I've always been kinky and weird. I've never been socially acceptable. I was, I was raised in a, a way that, um, you know, we didn't have TV and we didn't like, so pop culture just totally escaped me. And I just got used to being socially inappropriate. And so I was always interested in sex and uh, kinky sex, especially and lots of it. And then I was um, 
putting myself through college and I had always had like several jobs because I, you know, had weird class times and stuff. And somebody was like, I got laid off from my, my main job. And somebody was like, I know you're kinky. Cause like you go to the, all these goth clubs, there's this fetish and fantasy house in East Bay of San Francisco, uh, called fantasy makers. And they're always looking to hire and you can make some money there. And, um, I figured I would work there until I finished school. I think I started in like February of 95. I graduated and the week I graduated, I was on the cover of San Francisco Examiner and the um, the local sex rag, uh, The Spectator. And so my family's in town, including my young children. And I was on the cover of like the old fashioned newspaper stands. I mm-hmm. was all over. And, um, the thought of applying to get, you know, to go to graduate school at that point was just, yeah, no, I'm having fun. (laughs) And that's the crazy thing to me because I went to graduate school and, um, you couldn't major in anything around alternative sexualities like queer studies was about as and now there's whole bdsm studies segments of universities it's insane to me it's insane right it's so crazy and i mean but the thing is with me even at that point i had so much like weird i was pretty open to my family about what i was doing Mm -hmm. um but i still had so much like this wasn't a career (laughs) <laughs> Jesus, this isn't like something you do until you're like in your fifties. Jeez, this is something you do like you know while you're sowing your wild oats. So, how did it end up being a career? <laughs> Accidentally, because <laughs> <laughs> I went back and um, you know I definitely decided I didn't want to get my master's in business, which was what I my undergrad was in. And so I I got a front end web development certi- certification. Um, I got a Unix system administration certification because the nerd runs deep. Um, and then literally the first day I got like a job in uh, sysadmin, and my first day I was just like, oh my god, I'm going to be walking around to people's desks and leaning over and saying, well, have you tried rebooting it? <laughs> And, and I was just like, no. Um, and uh, I had a, another job for a while and I got laid off. And basically they laid me off, gave me four weeks of severance and handed me my computer. And because I was the only female engineer, um, I had the nicest computer. And I was like, I'm going home and making porn. <laughs> Putting my website back up. I'm like, you know, not that it ever came down, but it would get, you know, was updated Mm -hmm. the pitch is back come on let's do it it was always you know I kept trying to do what you know you're supposed to do and figure out what it is you're going to do for a living and apparently open dungeons and educate people about kink is what I'm doing because I'm 53 gonna be 54 a couple weeks after this airs and (laughs) Here I am. It's the way the best careers work out. I did not go to grad school to do this full time, and yet here I am. No, I I literally uh, 
oh my God, it must have been 10 years ago, went to this, uh, I used to go to blog her, which was this amazing mm-hmm. like, 5,000 women, just mostly femmes, uh, 5,000 people talking. And I remember doing this workshop where we're supposed to like visually draw out our career to figure out where we're going. And the person who was running it knew me. And so she's going around to these big tables and she's handing out paper to everybody. And there's like, there's all these pencils and stuff. And she comes to me and she's talking to the class and like telling us what we're going to do. And she comes to me and she hands me a piece of paper. And then she looks back down at me and she just like hands me another one and then another one. (laughs) And so like, (laughs) just kept walking. I was like, yes, my careers. uh, Yeah. So this far into it, um, what have you, what has it taught you? What have you learned about yourself in doing this for 30 years? Because kink is very revelatory. Oh my God. And kink and sex work and everything has changed so much. I I wish that I had um, just taken this more seriously uh, as a business. I mean, I always took it serious. Like what, you know, when I answered my phone, I was like 10 to noon mm-hmm. 10 to noon. Didn't, didn't matter. I could be like hung over having been in bed for about four minutes, 10 o'clock would roll around. My phone would ring and I'd be like, Oh God. Oh God. And, Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the middle of something. If you could call me back tomorrow, we'll chat then. Okay. Hang up and be like, Oh God. <laughs> So like I always took it professionally, but like I did not ever expect to be doing this for 30 years, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I really wish that I had taken it more serious. Um I I don't know, but you know, at the same time, I'm very, very strong believer of everything that I've gone through makes me who I am and makes me appreciate what I am. Um, I do a lot of coaching of femmes and, um, couples now. And I don't think that if I hadn't had the struggles that I've had in my past, that I would be able to have the empathy and the understanding to talk to them and really know what they're going through. That makes a lot of sense. In getting into this, you've gone, you're, you're very femme presenting, you know, Tapping into the dominant side is not what most of us, you know, femme presenting a fab people are are taught, right? We're supposed to be demure and quiet, and especially in the generation you and I are raised, because we're about three years apart. Um, yeah. How did you come to find your dominant voice? Oh, that was a rocky road. That was a rocky, rocky road. So, yeah, I just, I mean... I, I, I'm sure your listeners understand, but like from the time femme people are in diapers, we are trained to be clean, to make sure everybody likes us, to be pretty, to have frills, to be presentable. Yeah. So like, and to be nice. Oh my God. Gotta be nice. Everybody has to like you. You know what? Don't do that. People, what will people think? Oh God. So um, when I started at Fantasy Makers, I started as a switch and I wasn't planning mm-hmm. on making this a career, obviously. So I was like, I'm going to have fun with this. And 
Fantasy Makers is much more of a fetish and fantasy house. It's not like a house of domination. It was, you know, a playhouse. Uh, so it allowed me to explore my creative side. Like I did a lot of like weird role plays and, you know, just over the top costumey like cosplay stuff, which now everybody does. But back then, yeah. I was the weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like everybody else is like domina uh, mistress goddess and i was like i'm natasha the cat <laughs> like i want to enact your favorite graphic novel you know <laughs> it's awesome um so and then on top of that, like all of the dominant women around me, because like I was starting, you know, to get to know all of these amazing independents. Um, and they were just so together. They were so put together. They were so perfect. And like, I just looked up to them and I did not see myself in any of them. I did not see, like, I was just... I was goofy. I was like not put together. <laughs> I was like <laughs> so I had to work really hard to find my dominant voice. And I just remember a couple of times when I was first playing where I was spending a lot of time worrying about what it was my play partner partner wanted and what they were expecting and like was I living up to their expectations was I doing what they wanted um and all of a sudden it just a couple of years in started clicking and I realized that I've negotiated with them and negotiation back then was not what it is now no it was like hi how you doing yeah you want me to stick something in your butt okay great let's go um, <laughs> <laughs> you know but i started realizing that like i am in this room i have all these toys i have somebody who just wants me to use these toys on them and like if i can't have fun with this person maybe it's on me and maybe it's like i don't worry about what it is that they want and if i'm doing it right and if i'm making them happy it was just like this epiphany and it was like, it was huge for me. Yeah. And that was when, and, you know, that was when I, um, I started having repeat clients that were coming back to me. It was when I started having much, I mean, I was always having fun in my job, but that it took that worry out, you know, and it wasn't, it was a long ways to that epiphany, that epiphany that's, you know, there could be, I could, I, I could talk all day about like the, the weird, like misunderstandings and just, yeah. But that was also when I started doing more negotiation um, and bigger negotiations, which weren't, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal 30 years ago to like, you know, what do you want to feel like? That was just, yeah, nobody asked. I never asked that. No. no. <laughs> um, 
So, and then that was also when I started getting to be well known for doing role play and a lot mm-hmm. of gender exploration. And so more people were coming to me. And so they, they knew what I was known for. I was also one of the first doms to have a website. And I used to, you know, I discovered this thing, this really cool thing. Um, I don't even remember how I discovered it. I was one of my, it was the first person that I knew to discover this. And like, it blew my mind. It was called WordPress. (laughs) (laughs) And you could just like update with pictures and thoughts at any time, multiple times a day. You know, so I like would write about what happened in session and I would write about my life. And sometimes it was like one sentence about going to a baseball game, you know, or something. But my clients were just mm-hmm. like, oh, oh. Um, so that really helped people, you know, so it was sort of a, a us meeting each other in the middle kind of thing um, at that point. And then it you know, stepping into my dominance became more about setting boundaries and, uh, you know, both with clients and with family. And I do a lot of boundary talking now because, yeah. So you mentioned how consent has changed, right? And yeah, at the time you and I were coming into it, it was really like, you like to be hit? Cool. I like to hit things. Cool. And like, that was about it. Right. It was not at a sexy party. You must be a bottom. I'm going to hit you. Right. I'm going to. Exactly. You You know, (laughs) being at the party was consent. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously it's, it's radically changed now. I've seen consent negotiation forms by some educators that are putting out, they're like 12 pages long. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I think there's a happy medium, but where do you fall on, on what needs to go into consent anymore? Cause there's, there's now a hundred different options for it. Right, right. Um, so there's the consent and there's the negotiation for me because mm-hmm. I'm a professional and I have to negotiate and get consent very quickly um, because most people are coming to see me. Uh, many of them are cis men and they have an erection and time is of an essence. And often more cis men are starting to to evaluate like what it is that they're there for um but it it can still be hard for them to like look at like the emotions behind like why they're there uh so in my intake form i do ask a lot of questions about how do you like to feel emotionally like what emotions are you looking for in this session you know and and as in addition to all of the like physical activities, because physical activities are are so secondary. Like yeah. if you, you, I mean, if you don't know what emotions you're going for in kink, uh, what you want to feel, what your submissive wants to feel, it doesn't matter what the activities are yeah. uh, because you'll be doing them wrong. So, <laughs> um, and then that leads into another rant about doing kink wrong. Um, but then consent, I like to call consent like the the real 50 shades of gray because consent, you know, we, we hear a lot about enthusiastic consent, but you can be enthusiastic and consent and be drunk, which mm-hmm. drunk you're, you've negated all of that. Um, so, and then there's the, why are you consenting? And the ones, you know, I like to bring up like, 
you know, we just went through the holidays. How many of us consented to go spend the holidays with family? We consented to that, but we didn't like with our whole heart and soul consent. We like, you know, and so <laughs> that's just not how you want to have sex. <laughs> yeah. So, and you need to realize why the other person is consenting to play with you. Do they are they consenting because that's how you know what they feel like you're expected to do? You know, are they expected to, you know, like if somebody's coming to me to play with me, do they do they think they have to be in diapers and be humiliated because that's what I like to do? So you just you have to like look at all of those reasons that you're doing and why your partner is doing um you know and as a responsible ethical dominant you need to know why your submissive is submitting and that you you bring up a key point is a hard conversation to have especially with cis men we don't teach people how to understand those emotions of why they're doing things right this is not part of our sex ed at all so for somebody who hasn't had a lot of experience discussing the whys of the consent and the the emotions, is there a way to start providing somebody the the basic language around that? I definitely like to start by throwing out some emotions, like how do you like to feel when you're submissive? You know, what is it that you're and like by giving them a bunch of options, which I do on my intake form, it helps them narrow it down. And it, you know, because a lot of times they will just, I masturbate and look at this porn and like, doesn't everybody like, you know, there's somebody getting tied up and it makes me horny. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so like they don't a lot of times they don't even think that there's other reasons like to look at that and like other emotions that it invokes. Everybody feels like that though when they're first starting out. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing when you're doing coaching, how much of the coaching especially of of new sex workers coming into the field is more around the whys and the psychology versus the actual physical acts that you do? Um, It really depends. And I do a lot of coaching with up and coming sex workers, but I also do a ton of coaching with people who are not interested in being sex workers. So it really depends on where they're coming from. I've, I've worked with people who came you know, who had a good grasp of the understanding and they just wanted to have the the technical aspects. And so then we focus on the technical mm-hmm. aspects while talking about how using different techniques is going to evoke different emotions. And sometimes it's just do it, you know, sometimes coaching is nothing but sitting and looking at stuff and talking. You know, everybody starts at a different place and everybody has set uh you know, those little voices in your head that start when you're young, where you're just like, oh, the perverts, look at the perverts. I'm not one of those perverts, but I like it. (laughs) I'm so serious. (laughs) I listened to your last interview and it was like, oh, politics and polished. And here I am making like, (laughs) I'll have to direct you to a few others where where we're not nearly as polished. (laughs) Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
you talk about starting out as a switch and then getting into role play. How did you come to specialize in humiliation and diaper play and uh, forced feminization and all of those really fun things? Um, I specialize in emasculation. I like to say that mm-hmm. I am taking down the patriarchy one pantied ass at a time. I, I don't, there's just something because there's just something about laughing at men when they're in this vulnerable space, but still so turned on that just really gets me. It's like releasing that inner mean girl that I spent far too long, like biting my tongue, trying not to be like, Oh, and so now like, (laughs) now it's just like, I have, unleashed i have permission i have given myself permission i have you know so people come in i just had this little cutie come in for a bondage session and he's all like ripped and he's like sort of like mm-hmm. you know i touched his arm when i was restraining his hand up and he sort of flexed his muscles like oh you like your little water guns here don't you <laughs> just like because i don't know that's my fetish making fun of men um i i identify so strongly with that like i used to top this this like six foot four white construction worker and he'd come over before we both went to work in the morning and there's just something about putting them in in panties and cheerleader socks and making them cry that made my day great yeah well and the thing is that it's it's not a malicious act it's not that i hate men i do hate their patriarchy and i do hate everything that it's done to everybody of every gender and especially men like and men Mm -hmm. don't realize how badly the patriarchy fucks them the patriarchy and like that whole it you know i make my living off of providing a safe place for masculine people to process the damage that the patriarchy has inflicted upon them. I provide a place where men can come and be the object of desire. They can be pursued. They can enjoy silky things. They can enjoy emotions. They can get emotional and cry. Like it's, they, you know, it's, it's so much more than like that typical, like pop culture, like, oh, you go to a dominatrix mm-hmm. so you can not be in control for a while. Oh, it's so much deeper than that. Yeah. It is. And I think that's a lot that gets lost in the representation of this. And I think you, you tapped into it, that kink can be very healing for many of us. So healing um, for everybody. Yeah. You found that in your own journey that it's, been healing oh, and definitely um my uh I, when i was when i was a young troublemaker i uh, lived on the streets for a while with a drug addiction and then married um somebody who was basically my dealer uh we got clean and um had kids and entered into a seven year very very abusive relationship coming out of that relationship I like any violence against women, um, any violence in general, like any aggressive men, um, just floored me. 
like I just like my heart would stop, my mouth would go dry, and like I just couldn't function. And that's like in life, in movies, like in you know, just anywhere. I remember watching Thelma and Louise and and having to like shut myself off for some of that. And kink has really helped me embrace uh, who I am. It has helped me embrace, you know, and especially starting as a switch that helped me work through a lot of, you know, a switch like professionally to men um, that helped me work through a lot of my feelings, probably as much as any of, you know, I mean, I did therapy as well, but like, you know, talk therapy will get you someplace, but like, actually I'm, I'm a hands-on learner. <laughs> so I, like, Yeah. I've told more than one person, you need both types of CBT to truly heal. Yes. So, um, so yeah, like I, I told you my journey's been all over the place. <laughs> so you opened the first female owned dungeon play space in in the seattle area i think in all of oregon actually right now portland um yeah we're in in portland um or portland yeah in oregon um we are my business partner viola parker and i opened sabrosa uh just over four years ago it is a play space education space we work out of there both doing power exchange as well as coaching sessions uh we Every month we have something called Femdom Bootcamp, which femmes and queers get to come and learn how to do the hands-on stuff. It's not so much of the psychological, but it's definitely like, you know, do you want to learn how to tie up a penis? Because it's a lot easier if there's no emotional connection. Let me provide a penis. You know, you want to use, like, learn how to tie up a vulva? We've got one of those over here for you too. (laughs) Um, You know, and so... uh, and then I teach like impact play and um, some other things. Uh, you know, we try to have a couple of classes on the the calendar. And then on top of that, we rent the space to couples and throuples who want a place that is not their bedroom to explore or a sex club. So we have a lot of sex clubs in Portland. Well, and it's a beautiful space for listeners. You can go online. I'll have the the link to the site, and you can get the three D tour. It is pristine like it is it is so beyond anything you saw in how to build a sex room it's so amazing <laughs> it's i mean because we wanted something that was very, very instagrammable we wanted you know we wanted pretty um mm-hmm. and just dungeons are so often dark and yeah it's not all black and yeah so well, and you've turned it into a co-working space which is amazing and and so Portland. Like this could be straight out of Portlandia is the co-working sex Yeah, space. we're um we are in the process of of changing that a bit. Um but mm-hmm. yeah, we have a, a co-working space for erotic entrepreneurs. And uh so it's just a great place for them to meet other people because like I can't really teach you anything actually Viola and I neither one of us are big content people but like you know there's a lot of people who join the group and then meet people to collaborate with and like there's just you know it we do all the same things in other any other co-working space would do but it's for erotic entrepreneurs mostly kinky ones so that's awesome 
So you have a new book coming out. You want to talk a little bit about it and and what's going on with that? Because there's a whole lot around that coming up. There's a whole lot around that. So I released the book, originally released it several years ago as Kinky Sex Tips for Curious Girls. Um, At that point in my life, I was working mainly with, um, you know, very traditional, like, girl married to a boy has some kids likes to do like choking but doesn't know anything about safe words kind of people so i was you know that all that language made sense to me now i'm working with a lot of gender queer people a lot of femmes that are not necessarily identifying and so i modernized the language it's uh just called kink for the curious now um there's some updated photos it's not photos it's uh, there's some updated color pages i updated some of the um modernized some of the words around consent um and then worked with an amazing editor to just go through and get rid of a whole lot of typos but what it is it's an activity book modeled after the activity books that you had when you were a kid Um, So there are color pages and word finds and, you know, crossword puzzles and, um, you know, there's like a color your color a dick page and it's just it's very whimsical, very fun and very, very entry level. Um, It's the kind of thing that you give your friend if your friend is, you know, not understanding what you see in kink. Uh, It's very approachable. And even though the language has changed, the heart remains the same, that it is for people who have lived or are living the female experience, the femme experience. Um, So I start out talking about body image um, and that sort of thing before moving on to uh, activities and emotional needs. And then we go into, because there are two things in there for negotiation. And one is a negotiation sheet. Like I use when I intake clients and coaching clients that, you know, it's like, what are you afraid of? What are you, what would you, what would you do in the right situation? What are your hard limits? And then like a whole list of activities that you can check off or cross out. Uh, but then in addition to that, uh, there's a slave contract, um, a submission contract, because that is not something, it's a great negotiation tool because like the kids go off to grandma's for the weekend and you have like 48 hours where you and your partner can like live the life and you can sit there and go through and figure out like you know what are the rules this week and while the kids are gone um kind of theme so it's um it's a really fun approachable uh way to start learning about kink you know and then you have a class that goes with it right Yeah. And this is the terrifying, I've given myself a bit of a fear boner on this class um, because I originally wrote the book to be a textbook for this class and then ended up opening Sub Rosa and the book, you know, I never even really advertised it um, I, I, a bit, but uh, it was available at uh, like um, Good Vibrations for a while. And, but anyway, I opened up Rosa and then all of a sudden I have like this physical space to, to run and maintain and to love all over. Um, but in the end of January, I may push it two weeks because I've had some family things come up. Uh, there's going to be a class that goes along with the book. And so every week we will work through a chapter together. Um, it'll be like 
a sort of conversation with me about the topic. I'm going to have some friends come in to, uh, like Princess Callie is going to come in and talk about the big, oh, good. Stigma, the big stigma, her book. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then I have a submissive who's going to come in and talk about what he gets out of being submissive and like so little AMAs with, uh, you know, some interesting people, interesting friends of mine. Um, but it's eight weeks and it is also just about camaraderie and, and, because you can listen to this podcast and learn a lot. You can read my book and learn a lot. And, but it's all theoretical. Like to be able to do that with a bunch of people and have a community is so terribly, terribly important. So you have to have it to really develop that and people to talk about stuff with. Yeah. And to not feel othered because it's like mm-hmm. theoretically in our brains we're like oh yeah everybody is you know like there's lots of people into kink now but they're those people they're not me they're not you know so having a community of other people where you can get to know them and be like oh yeah everybody here's sort of like me in a way cuz yeah no i i do the same thing with my intensive except it's over 30 days instead of 8 weeks and um uh, yeah, the, the folks who go through that then remain connected mm-hmm. afterward because you've got to develop some type of support system where you're like, I just need to talk through this. And they're going through kind of the same stuff you are. Like, that's how you come into this. That's that's what I loved about it. There's, there's always some community you can find. Yeah. And it is like when I provide that community and like then I see people connecting and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. I fostered that. I'm like, look at them go now. Cause we have people come to uh femdom boot camp and then we'll turn around at, you know, some kinky party and turn around and like three or four of them will be like together. And they're like, we all met at femdom boot camp. And like, now we like are wingmen and like go out to all these sex parties. And, you know, it's just, it's so amazing to watch that. It's amazing. It is. It is. And for any of my listeners who've taken classes from me, they know your Femdom Bootcamp is one of the resources I always recommend because it is to be a dominant femme is is a whole special set of skills. It's not something you can get from your average dominant support group where it's mostly men. Like there's something very unique about being a femdom that that you've got to have another group of femdoms around. Yeah, I mean, because it is all about flipping that script that we've been raised with and like leaning into the fact that, you know, we can be that mean girl. We can like poke and prod and like explore and like, you know, and then, and we didn't even get into like claiming your sexuality. Like it's all about like claiming your sexuality because we're shamed, you know, it's like we're supposed to be like, mm-hmm crude not know anything about sex oh no and then like you know one day we turn 23 and we get married and it's like woohoo with this one person (laughs) behind closed doors we can be whatever we want do whatever we want Mm -hmm. but then you're like the fuck is it that i want (laughs) right we never taught never taught how to get to that point that's 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 been my my rant for the last three years is in sex ed, we've got to teach about the emotional side. Like you can teach how to put a condom on a banana. Cool. But the emotional side is what we really need to teach kids how to deal with, because that is so much more of the experience than the physical side. It, it is. 
I mean, I was yeah. definitely just raised with like that obsession with the physical side. But it is so, and that's why I think that if, you know, the more we teach our kids to, you know, turn down physical touch that they don't want from relatives and, you know, just to embrace being whoever they want, um, like gender wise and like letting them explore their sexuality. And, and, you know, I've, my 13 year old identifies as a lesbian. Like, and I've had people, be, how can she know that at 13? Because she's attracted, but she hasn't even had sex yet. Has she had sex? And like, I don't yeah. have, like, I identify as queer and I'm in a somewhat monogamous relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. But I'm, doesn't stop me from being queer. You know, she may not like, yeah, just like, oh God let people do their thing (laughs) well and in doing that you so undermine the patriarchy and rape culture is what i love about it because it's like this is how you set boundaries when you're 12 as you say grandma i'm i'm not into giving you a hug and i'm not gonna run your rub your bunions for 25 cents like that's i gotta limit here we're good (sighs) but maybe a dollar yeah. <laughs> I, do have, I have a, a 10 year old nephew and his powers of negotiation are incredible and he has a really a highly um inflated sense of his self-worth so all the prices go away and he's like you can deposit it into my venmo account beforehand <laughs> like damn nice oh now if we can get all the fems on board to do that as well so Exactly. Well, that and then he was on, they were doing homeschooling during the early part of the pandemic. And at one point, his teacher had called on and he'd been half listening in like one headphone and playing the game. And he comes up and he answers and he turns to his mom, he's mutes it and he says, I don't even know what she was talking about. I just kind of half asked that answer. And I'm like, between that and like ne- deposit it in my Venmo before I do something, you're ready for the corporate world. Like you've learned your lessons. That kid's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. No, we just need to get others to embrace that. So for our listeners who want to find you, who want to find your book, your Femdom Boot Camp, the classes that go with everything, to find Sub Rosa, plug all your things. All the things. You can learn about me at kittenwithawhip.com. Uh, you can learn about my course at wickedminks.com and learn about why it's wicked minks. Um you can learn about Sabrosa at sabrosapdx.com. But really, if you go to kittenwithawhip.com, you will see all the things and find me in all the places. So I do try to keep that upgraded, upgraded, updated. <laughs> and listeners, we will have all of those links in the show notes as well as links to Natasha's book and like I said, if you've ever taken a class of mine, I, I regularly recommend her. So please check out. She's a great teacher, great newsletter, fantastic space. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Really, thank you. And now... A moment of gratitude. I am 
currently so grateful to be able to live in Portland, Oregon, which is just so queer and open. I'm currently so grateful for my business partner and our business to, you know, we, that we can run it openly and um, teach so many people about kink and um, BDSM and provide a safe place emotionally and, and physically uh, to explore. Um, I'm really grateful for where I am in my career and yeah, I feel very privileged to be here. This has been an episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Fat Chicks on Top is produced and hosted by Auntie Vice. Audio production is by A Serious Production. You can find all information about Fat Chicks on Top at fatchicksontop.com and follow Auntie Vice at Auntie Vice on most social media.